Welcome to another fun-filled edition of Rankin Review with Evan Parsons joining Larry Parsons. We have two Parsons is 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 doing this episode. And this has been a long time coming because like uh, we've known each other our entire lives. You love movies, I love movies. I have this podcast. We live in a world that's driven by technology. We can make these things happen. And I'm so happy that we finally did. <laughs> Thank you, thank it's, you so it's much. It's good to finally be here, Larry. Thank you for having me. You're, you're talking to me all the way from far-off romantic Los Angeles, California. Yes, I am. So uh, that's how into movies you are. <laughs> I'm so into movies, I had to move to the place where all of the magic happens. Well, that's what everyone says, although it's amazing how much stuff I'm watching nowadays on TV, on Netflix and stuff, that's been clearly shot in Canada, <laughs> like transparently. Yeah. It's true. But, I mean, uh, that was, and that was why, I mean, I lived in Vancouver before this. That's where so much 
stuff is is made and and actually you're right i think for the majority of stuff that we watch on tv is television made there yeah for sure so that's exciting. Congratulations. I mean, I know these are strange times and I know everybody's looking for distractions. So that's what made me smile when you selected uh, re Relaxing Island Getaways. It's a very yeah. loosely themed selection of movies. We got some action. We got some sci-fi. We've got some horror. Um, but it's all these ideas of, you know, a lot of people who live their lives in toil save up their every penny so that they can go to the specific beach somewhere and shake everything off and uh yeah i think a lot of people are dreaming of that right now and i think a lot of it's movies something that we can't really do right now exactly so, uh it's nice to just be able to kind of take this makeshift vacation with you <laughs> we'll pretend but the horror movies and science fiction is all these are going to of course turn it on you I mean, who's going to want to watch that, that movie about a guy who plans a vacation to an exotic locale, he goes there, he has a great time, nothing goes wrong, and then he comes home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so shit's going to get fucked up. Um, I, I know why, because we talked about it before, but what brought you to this list? Why did this jump out out of the ones I sent to you? Uh, oddly enough, uh, when you sent me the choices, um, I... I saw these six films, and one of those films, uh, No Escape, uh, jumped out at me right away for some bizarre reason. Uh, when I was, you know, 12 years old when that movie came out, I was uh, strangely drawn to that film, and uh, I just had good memories. I had I had good memories of the idea of that movie. I won't say I had good memories of the actual movie. Well, I mean, for me, it came out in the time where I was really investing full whole hog into being a movie nerd. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, uh, where I had a lot of income that I could just blow away going to theaters every week. And uh, I think it was like the ass end of, of high school when it came out. And to me, in my memory, the movie was kind of a big deal. But as things have played out, it's a forgotten item. <laughs> like Completely forgotten. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I forgot about it. I probably haven't thought about that movie for literally, you know, 15 years before it landed on that list that you sent me. But that's, so I was happy to watch it, to be able to watch it again. That's what my podcast's for, to remind people that movies like No Escape and Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man exist. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Good luck finding them in some cases, but they do exist and watch them. Well, yeah, that's actually a good point because every single stream that I could find of No Escape was in German. In German? For some reason, yeah, everything that I could find, say the first, like, I was, I was trying to find the movie online, like, you know, I, for free. Yeah. And for some reason, it just kept popping up in German. I ended up having to watch... Um, I watched uh, I, I watched it in English, but the title was uh, the German title. Okay, I was also worried because it's happened a few times. I've had miscommunications and with my guests. There's actually a more recent movie called No Escape with uh, Owen Wilson. Right, yeah. yeah, but you knew what I was talking about. This was all about the Ray Liotta. 
But that's yeah. interesting because, like, uh, a lot of people would see, oh, this this list has Battle Royale. Oh, this list has Castaway. <laughs> oh, this yeah. list has It's Alive Three, Island of the Alive. <laughs> like, <laughs> sign me up for this list. <laughs> yeah. So, now, for me, it was all about the No Escape. No Escape. All right. Well, um, I don't know what else I can say. I mean, it's a pretty broad theme, but I think everybody knows the door that we're knocking on. Is there? Anything you would like to say by way of introduction before we jump into this? Um, I think uh, I think I just have to say that um, watching this combination of films over the last few days was uh, was a, a real roller coaster. There's a <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, ups and downs. Peaks and valleys, sometimes even within movies themselves, not only just within the list, but within actual films themselves, the quality seems to like be out there. Very strange. Thanks so much. Let's do it. And I managed to not mention the six films that we're going to be talking about this episode. So the six films that we're going to review, Battle Royale, No Escape, It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive, The Condemned, the island and castaway. Let's do it. Este juego es como una carrera y voy a ganarlo como sea. Esta carrera la ganaré yo. Resistiré hasta el final. No hay fe. All right, so Battle Royale is Hunger Games on crack, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it is completely batshit crazy. Yeah, and it wears that on its sleeve. Like, at least it's honest about it. it it's not one of those crazy movies that doesn't know that it's a crazy movie. Or that's just like so over the top in its execution that it becomes crazy. This is a consciously super fucked up movie. It's it's Japanese and it's tapping into the whole culture war between the old and the young that, that, that's been going on and continues to go on. Yeah, and I think in a way this is probably a lot of people's like introduction to that weird, crazy uh, Japanese like horror genre. Yeah. It was like it was big enough that it kind of, it actually did have an impact here, and people talked about it. And I don't remember any movie before that, any Japanese horror movie before this kind of having that same impact. But I might be wrong. That's just how I remember it. Well, they have the whole Asian extreme moniker that they have sometimes. They the same thing with French extreme monitor monikers, but basically they mean anything made on that side of the ocean. And in French, it means either French Canadian or any, anywhere French, right? It's, it's a yeah. pretty broad blanket that they put it on. But it's interesting. It's basically the level of violence in Battle Royale that gives it this reputation. I didn't find myself necessarily chewing my nails or being like overcome with suspense watching the movie it's just sort of this hypnotizing odd series of events an entire class is taken to this island and given weapons and set to kill each other they have a three-day clock and if at the end of the day there's uh more than one person alive everybody dies and this is all some sort of 
government sanctioned pub I, I think it's being is it being televised i wasn't i was unclear about that aspect of it uh i th- i think that yeah they don't really touch on that as as much as you think they would i think that it it's implied that it is but you're right they don't really come right out and say it, it um because the more you think about this, the less sense it makes. Like, who who came up with this this law, and who okayed this law, and how does how does this help make the world a safer, better place? Like, yeah, no, it makes absolutely no sense at all. But it works so well at just being uh, entertaining. And yes, like you said, it's extremely violent, but it also. Um, it's also so funny that it almost, I feel like it's extremely accessible even for people that really like this type of movie because it's so over the top Yeah, that it's, it's just fun. To a point, I do think that at, at some point in the 122 minute runtime, I start getting worn out. <laughs> like, we go from scene to scene to scene to scene of kids that we largely don't have enough time with to really know or care about or invest in in any way, where two kids meet each other, one kills the other, or three kids meet each other and they become friends briefly, but then one kills the other, or, you know, (laughs) I I had a real hard time uh, finding someone that I should... There's not... Sorry. There's not necessarily... Sorry. There's not necessarily enough of, like... uh, a clear social commentary or like through line to really carry you for the entire two hour runtime. But, um, it's still far more successful at keeping you entertained than many of the other films on this list. Well, and there's this staggering visual bloody clock that's going down. It starts with 42 kids and anytime people die, it'll not give you the names and that they've died and now that there's now there's 38 to go now there's 36 to go and then you start thinking like jesus we're going to seriously watch all of these kids die one at a time and yes essentially when you get down to it that is the nuts and bolts of the movie and, and it's yeah. one weirdly when they try to work beyond that that it even becomes somehow more problematic to me when they force in these like flashback backstories to give poignancies to the next murder scene that we're about to witness. I mean, I, I guess part of me says we want that to have context, but part of me also says there's so little of it, like there's not enough of it that it doesn't justify yeah. itself. What keeps the movie alive and, and cooking for me is the wall-to-wall craziness of it. You don't know what you're going to see next. I mean, you know you're going to see kids killing each other, but you don't know how it's going to play out. And even when you're not, or at least I'll speak for me, even when I'm not 100% liking it, I can't look away. <laughs> like, I am hypnotized by the movie. So, like, I have to give it a thumbs up review, but I would argue that it's probably not for everyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I would say, like, uh, for me, I think that, I think I'm, I like this movie a little bit more than, than even you do. I, for some reason, the flashbacks and the melodrama and just how how absolutely corny and stupid the relationships and just like the 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 drama the high school kind of like drama that's happening and and how it basically just takes like this high school film 
and just takes every kind of like crazy dramatic thing to its absolute extreme to the point where these kids are actually just literally killing each other and there's something really soapy and like almost operatic about it that that I feel is like it it it's kind of brilliant in a way like I just I I, I loved it and I remember loving it when it came out as well but rewatching it this time I, I I was like this movie uh for me like uh in a way is is kind of timeless like I, it didn't it didn't really lose anything with age no for me it, and it does kind of make the Hunger Games seem sort of hilarious and made for television by contrast. I think, like, yeah, you kind well, of you believe. Also see just how how much film, like, you also see how much this film influenced so many movies that have come out since, and and how nothing, including some uh, some films on this list, and just how nothing is really. Nothing really comes close to like hitting all the notes the way that this movie did. I also need to give it points for its. Well, I mean, it's it's a movie where it has lots of villains, but for me, the main villain is their former teacher, who is now somehow coordinating the event. We're told that this selection is made randomly, but clearly, he specifically selected this group of kids and um, as much as he's judging them and harshly uh, for you know being idiot kids who don't learn anything, all of the behavior that we see from him, and I'm sure this is deliberate, is overtly, frustratingly childish, right? He won't share cookies with other people. He lounges on the couch and doesn't take shit seriously. In the end, it's all because he wants to impress a girl. (laughs) Like, he is uh, infuriating, deliciously so, infuriating victim. But again, like the rest of the movie, like when I look back on it, I'm not sure it makes sense. Like, I I love it, but <laughs> it's insane, right? Yeah, no, it actually you're you're right. The more you think about it, the less sense it makes. Um, but as far as like his performance goes, the teacher's performance, it's uh, Beat Takeshi, right? Um, he's amazing. Like he's so watchable in this movie and just like uh fascinating to watch and you never really understand why he's acting the way that he's acting but it's it's still just completely draws you in like his it's bizarre his performance is is completely off the wall and it's and it's just really entertaining and yeah, I just love the line. Like he's pretending it's not personal, but it's so clearly on his face, personal. But uh, we go back to the back and forth. I find this this tone thing happens a lot in in the Asian cinema. I found the same thing with the host, that monster movie, where there's be like one scene that's incredibly scary and intense, and then the next scene's super goofy, and then the next scene is like an intense drama, and then the next scene's like way over the top melodrama. You're not quite sure. There's a little bit of that to Battle Royale, but it's I guess the movie accommodates that a little bit more <laughs> here than in, in other places. But I I don't know. I do find that uncomfortable sometimes. Like movies can get away with it, but I'm a big believer in picking a lane. <laughs> like what genre yeah, of movie that's are true. you? In uh, films like this one, and you may have noticed it also in 
uh, Parasite from the director of the host. There right. was a certain uh, quality specifically to the humor in these films that is very, for lack of a better word, Asian. It's just very right. uh, slapstick and over the top. And it's, it's, it's not really, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, it, but you just know that you don't really see it in a lot of uh, North American films. It's very, it, it's it's, I don't know I don't know what it is about about uh, about the culture of these films, but yeah, the the comedy basically uh, comes across as kind of uh, very broad and slapstick, but they still manage to have this comedy in these movies that are extremely violent um, and sadistic and intense, and it's a really weird off-putting mix that um, that you don't see in, in North American films. And stuff like real dramatic moments that didn't seem properly set up. By the end of the movie, they've earned that hyper-dramatic death that the first kid has, the first kid whose collar goes off and bleeds out in front of the classroom, where it's with this slow motion, no, not you! But when we first see it, we don't know this kid at all. Then we have like two hours where we find out he's best friends with one of our main characters and he's got this back history and perhaps even a visitation from his ghost so that maybe the second time you watch the movie <laughs> that 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 treatment of that death makes sense but the first time you're just like what the hell and I think I don't know if that was a conscious goal but that's the success of the movie is keeping you in this what the hell place the video that's shown to the class with this super amped Asian lady talking to the kids like they're going to Disneyland but they're killing each other. It, it, that gave me like pangs of Starship Troopers where they're sort of like embracing this sort of the madness of this government system and go, run a, a completely amok. But the movie's strangely not deep. It, it, it could be. Like the ideas suggest that maybe they could be delving deeper but I honestly in the end think it's just it's just a gore fest. It's a it's a crazy bloody massacre on an island and I'm down with that. But I, I don't know that I agree with the case that it's much deeper than that necessarily. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, it is just exceedingly good at what it is, which is what you said. It's just a crazy off wall uh, chaotic gore fest and uh, the fact that it's so good at that um, just almost makes it not matter at all that it doesn't succeed like on a deeper <laughs> level because no. that's that is basically what you want to see when you watch one of these movies in a weird way, as much as I'm uh, like, I, it's a thumbs up review, but a little bit mixed. I don't think this is a movie that could be improved in any way. I don't think no, it could be remade. No. I think it's perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> just, just leave it for the piece of insanity it is. But if you're gonna watch it, just make yeah, sure that you're prepared for something because it is every bit as crazy. It is in, in its own special way. It is. <laughs> it is an absolute uh, masterpiece of filmmaking. Boom. Welcome to Vacation Paradise. Enjoy. I could use a man like you. We appear to have an opening. And what if I say no? 
That would be very disappointing. Sir, prisoner 2675 is alive. He's at the insider's camp. What is this place? Sanctuary, Mr. Robbins. We've created a new society here, a civilized one. We live under constant threat from the outsiders. He's military trained, you realize that? Somebody taught him how to kill. You have proven yourself a highly resourceful man. We'd like you to join us. All I want to do is get off this island. Now I'm going to kill you. You want it? Come and get it! So, No Escape, directed by Martin Campbell from 1994. Um, it's a very familiar sort of idea of for a science fiction movie. We have criminals who are, you know, too bad to be kept in their cages. They won't even, you know, follow the system of rules in the high-tech prison. So, this is the farthest step beyond. You're going to ditch you on this island and leave you to fend for yourself. If you starve to death, you starve to death. If you die, you die. You're you're on your own. Uh, and Ray Liotta headlines this movie, and he's relatively hot off of Goodfellas at this point in his career, and he's getting a few star-making movies. There was this one, and there was Unlawful Entry, and a really not good movie called Turbulence. <laughs> but... Um, I've always been on side with, with Ray Liotta because I thought he was amazing in Goodfellas and he keeps on showing up in other movies and being really good in them, but usually the movies themselves aren't good. Ray Liotta is really good in the movie, but a lot of the times the movie isn't. I don't know what... Yeah. I don't know what to say about No Escape because it's... it's the faint praise here is to say it's a guilty pleasure sci-fi movie. Nothing that happens in this movie will surprise you. The second a character is introduced, you're going to understand what role they're going to play in the movie, the beginning, middle, and end of their arc. You just have to wait for it to play out. <laughs> like, you've got Kevin Dillon playing this sort of well-meaning aw-shucks kid who really shouldn't be there, who really wants to impress this rugged hero. You've got Lance Henriksen playing this sort of father priest hope figure of change is like teaching all these criminals to live peaceful lives <laughs> and uh just everybody in the movie like i said you, there's no way that you can if you've spent any time paying attention to any piece of medium uh, of science fiction or pop culture that you won't see where this movie is going so it comes That's down true. to are you willing to take the ride I was willing to and take the ride. <laughs> I am as well. <laughs> um, now, like I said, I definitely uh, I had fond memories of this movie. I remember it coming out. I remember thinking when I was 12 years old that it was fucking awesome. <laughs> um, I, I, that said, I didn't remember anything about the actual movie. If I was if I was thinking about like my memory basically told 
told me that I loved it, but I didn't remember anything that happened in the actual film. So watching it this time uh, was essentially like watching it for the first time. <laughs> and I actually realized that I think that the only thing that, that I actually retained from this movie was one scene. And it was the scene where the uh, bad guy who's amazing, I can't remember his name right now, Stuart Wilson. Yeah. Um, he uh, slices that guy's head off uh, in front of everyone else. And it's just kind of this classic scene that you've kind of seen like a lot of, I think, since this movie. But he, he kind of like cuts his throat. Um, and you don't know that he's actually cut his head off right away. It just shows his, his neck bleeding. Right. And then all of a sudden his entire head just falls off like, <laughs> like a cartoon. Yeah. Um, and at that moment I realized that that was actually, that was what I loved when I was 12 years old. It was just that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what, that's why I loved No Escape. Well, and um, the movie's full of moments that are like that. They're dumb but awesome. When he comes to on the on the island after being dropped there, for no reason, he's got a blanket of rats on him. We never yeah. That's never really referenced again, other than, I guess, that they say that they eat rats on the island, but strange, strange yeah, inclusion. I even actually, uh, after I saw that scene, I was really curious uh, if there even are rats on tropical Island. oh yeah i mean so i googled it i googled it and it, there are but i just don't know if there would be that many rats uh exactly where they decide to kind of drop someone from a helicopter well, and the whole movie's predicated on us not thinking about it but it's weird and kind of awesome uh ray liotta gets a blow dart to the throat loses his balance and falls like I don't know, 10,000 feet <laughs> into a roaring, like, surf, and then he washes up on the rocks and he's fine. I also found it amusing, it's not a compliment to the movie, but the, the movie makes no attempt to make Ray Liotta's character likable until well past the halfway point of the movie, <laughs> like, at yeah, all. It's like, you know, you know that he has to be a good guy, you know that he has to be a good person because he is the hero that you've been watching for the entire movie but they don't tell you they don't give you any reason to actually think that no, no. um but yes eventually you do find out that he that he's a good man we're focusing on him ergo he is the hero and it's not like they're trying to play him as like a gray character he's 100 percent on the side of good and you know he goes from being indifferent to Kevin Dillon to like, no, not Kevin Dillon. I gotta give some, <laughs> I gotta give some praise to, um, where is it here? Stuart Wilson as the big bad. He knows exactly. He's amazing. He knows exactly the movie that he's in, and he's okay with it, right? And they do yeah. give. If, if, the, if there's one thing that I kind of took away from this movie from rewatching it, I. I definitely didn't realize at the time when I was 12 years old how amazing of a performance that was. Like, he is so amazing in this movie. He completely saves the film, in a way. Um, it's completely off the wall, like, the way that he acts, and it's perfect. It's so entertaining. He twirls his mustache in a way that, like, shouldn't work. 
and he's got this big, toothy, healthy grin on his face, like this is the best possible place for him to be. And as is so often the case in these macho action movies, the main villain gets all of the best lines. That that big speech he gives to all of these cannibalistic hordes about, like, I've got a lot on my head right now. I'm finding this very stressful. And here's the thing. I really want to be in charge. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's brilliant. He's kind of got this, it's so uh, funny because he looks like um, a Mad Max villain. Yeah. And a lot of the characters, obviously, in this movie kind of look like they should be in a Mad Max movie. But he's got this look where he he looked like a Mad Max villain, but he talks like like a '90s like sitcom dad or something. Like there's something very straightforward and like normal about the way that he uh, he talks that doesn't match the way that he looks at all. Yeah, but he's it's extremely funny. He's like the weirdly Zen biker dude. You meet this guy at a bar. He's got a huge beard, a leather jacket, tats all down his arms. And he's always talking about inner peace and his mantra and meditation and shit. He's like, like not at all what's advertised on the outside of the package. Yeah, <laughs> but it's unhinged, and he's like, it's 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 uh, it's really fun to watch. And I think that actually this movie was surprisingly funny, which may have, may actually also be um, a problem with the movie. Like you were saying, the battle royale was uneven. This movie is kind of uneven in in uh, a way as well that, that is a little bit confusing. And most people like they made a much darker movie and they went back and reshot like tons of stuff to make it more palatable. Feel you can kind of feel like the hands of producers on this film kind of saying like, no, that this is like a little bit too dark we need to like kind of throw a one-liner in there and just make it a little bit more. It's the yeah. problem of uh, movies that hit a certain budget range. Uh, Gail Ann Hurd produced this, you know, she, she's used to doing big budget sci-fi projects and stuff like that. And the, cl- the cast at the time was kind of big, you know. I'm sure Lance Henriksen was her good luck charm. And uh, Michael Lerner had just been nominated for an Oscar for Barton Fink. And Ray Liotta's hot off of Goodfellas. Like, all of the pieces are here. The problem is, is that it's a movie made out of pieces of other movies. It kind of reminds me of a more recent film called Doomsday that Neil Marshall made. Where there's nothing objectively wrong with the movie, except that there's nothing new to it at all. That's exactly what, yeah. what No Escape is. I have a nostalgic sort of connection to it because of where I was and who I was when I watched it. But in earnest, Evan, like, if you hadn't seen it in 1994 and you watched it for the first time today, would you find it exciting? Do you think it would drag for you? Would you get anything out of it? I think that I would hate this movie if I watched it now without having the nostalgia. But nostalgia goes such a long way with me that I think you'll be very surprised where this movie lands in my in your rank. My ranking at the end. That's okay. <laughs> I, I always want to hear your personal rank. You, you don't have to try to match me. It's not like <laughs> nobody wins or loses in this podcast in that respect. Um, I'm giving I think it a it's going pause. To shock. It's going to shock your audience. Oh my god! Choices at the end of this episode. 
I am giving it a positive review. I do have affection for the movie, but I'm giving it with the nostalgia goggles kind of caveat here, right? It's a Goonies Same. type of thing. I like the Goonies, but I know that it's not really a good movie. It's just because I saw the Goonies when I was 10, and it was fucking amazing, right? So, this is of that yeah, ilk. I think, I think we're completely in agreement about No Escape. Let's move on. Remember the babies? They found a place to put them. Now they're growing up, and they want to come home, and they're hungry. It's Alive Part 3, Island of the Alive. Don't see it alone. You were able to figure it out despite not having seen It's Alive Parts 1 and 2? Yeah, I figured it out. I, 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 I put it together. It took me a while, but uh, I think I understand what these movies are about. Although I, I got the impression that maybe this was a, a bit of a departure from the first two films. Well, you didn't feel you need to do your due diligence, then. You didn't decide to, re, to go back and watch the other ones. That's fine. I think that, they, especially when they're being ranked and reviewed, you should judge a movie as it stands by itself. All you really need to know to understand It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive, is that occasionally women give birth to these monster creatures. Famously in the first movie, It's Alive, when the baby is born, it kills all of the doctors in the operating theater and just leaves a big hamburger bloody spatter all over the place. And the first two movies was dealing with hunting down these creatures the third movie starts with a court case in which it's being decided what their fate will be. Are they going to execute them? Are they humans? Are they creatures? And there's a very brief moment in the first maybe 15 minutes of the movie where you think, well, I know this is a super cheap B-monster movie, but it looks like they're at least half-assed trying to be about something here. And that yeah, is there is um, there there was an echo of a political statement happening, but uh, it's abandoned. The film, but it completely <laughs> stays an echo. Yeah, <laughs> it's abandoned completely. I have to also mention the writer director uh, Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen, thank you, thank you so much. Larry Cohen, yes, he has done a lot better movies than this. I do get a lot of you know guilty pleasure fun out of things like the the stuff or um cue the winged serpent <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah and- no i think that um probably one of my favorite uh things about this movie is actually uh that you can really it you can tell that the director uh is making exactly what he wants to make it's like it's a director's movie he hasn't he's not making it for anyone except for himself it has um it has like a real distinct personality to it and character and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good but you can tell that there's a vision there well your wild card here has to be if if not the writer director has to be michael moriarty (laughs) okay i uh I, I've always liked that guy. I remember in the late 90s, I got myself a bad case of the mono, 
and I went through about a three month period where I was sleeping about 19 hours a day. And the five or so hours I was awake, I was watching Law and Order reruns with Michael Moriarty. And uh, I'd heard all this talk about him, how he's like a crazy person. And after watching this movie and seeing some of his other early works, I don't think Michael Moriarty is one of these people who went crazy over time. I think that this dude was off his tits from day one. There's so many... There's so many strange takes in his movies and so many things where I guarantee you Michael Moriarty said while they were on the boat, hey, what if I sing a song? Yeah, let's all sing a sea shanty. That will be funny. (laughs) And thank God they put it in the movie. (laughs) But the result Um, is... There's a scene towards the beginning of this movie where we are asked as the audience to believe that he is getting picked up by an attractive woman at a carnival. Yeah. And he is the least likely, least attractive leading man character that you can imagine. But we have to somehow just kind of believe it because it's happening. I can't, like there's a few uh, times they give lines like, oh, I get it, you're cute, you could be a, a movie star. And I'm like, really, cute? Like, like I yeah. get him being cast as a lawyer or a best friend or, you know, some sleazy executive, but he doesn't really scream romantic, heroic leading man to me. And I'm, I'm not saying it to be mean. I like what this guy brings. He's really strange and eccentric vibe, but this, casting him in the hero role is just strange to me. He's just... I do think, though, that um, going back to what I was saying before about this being um, kind of a distinct vision. And I do think that like a lot of this stuff is intentional. I think that Larry Cohen knows exactly what he's doing by having this character act in this way. I don't think that it's a mistake. It, when it, it, it is like a cheesy, uh, bad movie on the surface, but I do think that it, it's smarter than a lot of people would give it credit for because I think that there's a certain like um, there's a certain like John Waters kind of quality to like what's happening in this movie where um, it's it's kitschy and it's trashy but there's not it, it, there's like a, a real self-awareness to, to what's happening which actually makes it like really fun to watch it's enjoyable, but I mean, even in the rough-hewn universe with which this guy works in, I, I don't really understand the rules of the universe. You can do whatever you want, you can, you can be as tonally strange as you want, but I want to understand that there are rules to your universe and that they make sense. Like, here's a basic question that should be easy for either of us to have answered, having seen the movie. Are the creatures friends or foe? hard to say right like they <laughs> like the, the the Michael Moriarty character is trying to make the case that these are these are people they're just you know different we have to respect them and one of them's my son and there's that like I said almost interesting court scene that opens the movie with the stop-motion animation baby and uh, he he makes his case that these creatures have enough humanity in them that we can't just wholesale execute them and then for the next hour of the movie, they're monsters. And then at the end of the movie... Not to mention, in the, in the courtroom scene, 
after he's making his case for the creatures, even he says that he's absolutely terrified of them. Yeah. So pick a lane, right? It's just strange. Yeah. It's just strange. Like within the world of this movie, like scene to scene, we're not sure what to go with. Karen Black, who's the mother of the baby, who's trying to live in hiding and who's being blackmailed by this utterly terrible, terrible guy. The misogyny in this movie is through the roof, by the way, like crazy through the roof. Um, again, like there could be an interesting card for her to play there. My child is a monster. What does that say about me? I've abandoned my child. Am I okay with it? Am I at war with it? And it only comes into play if it's needed in that particular scene. <laughs> it's hard to it's recommend not, the movie, it is, but it it's hard to say. Deepest, yeah, uh, movie. But <laughs> I still have to stand by it for some reason. Um, I will say that my biggest problem with it actually, it like looking at it through the lens of other films that uh, someone who would have watched this movie at the time, like other films that that person might be interested in, like the Evil Dead films, um, just the, this like genre of horror film that was happening at the time. Um, I feel like where this movie really fails is uh, is actually in the gore department. Right. And in, uh, I mean, I can forgive the special effects to a certain degree, but when all of a sudden we're just supposed to kind of believe that a person wearing a terrible, uh, the monster suits are just, they're, they're almost in your face like that. Yeah. Like it almost seems intentional how terrible they are and I just wish that they were like that little bit more like I just wanted it to be a little bit scary you know not just like um, not just totally schlock as far as like the effects go and sometimes he can make that work for him because like this director's all about taking a like a big budget idea and making it on a tiny budget and sometimes that becomes the charm of it, like it gets over the barrel a little ways, and other times it just doesn't quite. I think that this one comes closer to the doesn't quite quality of it, but it is just so weird. I said a similar thing about Battle Royale. It's like almost the strength of the movie is its its oddness, is its like how, how you can't compare it to anything else. But yeah, uh, uh, flags for, you know, a movie of its time. Yeah, there are real rapey men throughout the movie, and they're not asked to be judged for their behavior at all. And um, it's weird. It's weird. I keep on bumping into this. I did a whole episode on retro horrors where I was like, I like this movie, but I feel like I have to apologize a little bit for liking this movie because uh, they would not make it today <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's another time yeah, capsule absolutely. movie. I it, it, it's it's hard to uh, just completely forgive a film because it came out during a certain period of time, but um, but I do find it a little bit easier just in this case because the film's so stupid and uh, over the top. Um, I, I think pe people would be uh, it would be tough to be truly offended by by what's happening in this movie. You'd have to want to be offended um, you're, you're, by it. 
Yeah, you, you're too distracted by the fact that, you know, there's weird, wet mutant babies running around in, in costumes. And I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's just too bizarre to kind of even take seriously enough to be offended by it. Yeah. But like, I do wish that, uh, that there was, uh, I hate to say it, I wish there was more uh, violence in this movie because that's what these movies are kind of all about. Like when I watched Reanimator when I was that age and like all of these films, the thing that really kind of elevates that schlockiness and the reason that you watch these horror films is to kind of get that gratification of watching uh, cheesy gore. And this movie doesn't really have any of it. It's almost like a complete afterthought. It's, yeah. It might strange. be sloppy. Like this, it like might Home Alone is more violent. Yeah. It might be sloppy, it might be cheap, but at least we're going to see crazy violence and sex, right? Well, no. Exactly. It's just going to be weird. And that does seem like a big thing to miss in this movie. Like, And I feel like maybe the other films, uh, I haven't seen them, I didn't see the first one or the second one, but did they, did they hit those marks a little bit? I would say for sure the first movie is a straight horror movie. Uh, I think the second one's a little bit wonkier tone-wise, but it, 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 I don't know. They're they're all about the same level of quality, strangely. But uh, the first one at least had a something of newness to it. You know, it, it had like this ballsy, right. holy shit quality that this this movie didn't. Again, I don't want to like wholesale dismiss it. I think that if you're listening to this review. You know what we're talking about. You know what this movie is. <laughs> and I completely take your point, Evan. Like, if someone's going to sit and say, well, the mutant monster baby movie has not really great sexual politics in it, well, <laughs> I don't know if I can help you, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just know what you're watching. <laughs> Just know what you're watching. Game on. You enjoy what you Let's go, sweetheart. So, The Condemned, a millionaire ass-faced dude decides to buy a bunch of prisoners from all over the world, put them on an island full of cameras, document them killing each other until there's only one left who he will set free. It's a big budget action spectacular starring Stone Cold Steve Austin and produced by the World Wrestling Entertainment Studios. It's not in my spirit to judge a movie from where it came from, but I'm going to start this review by judging this movie from where it came from. Because this is a movie that's going to be rubbing our noses in the fact that exploitation violence is a bad thing, violence is entertainment and a bad thing, especially the more real that violence is, the more criminal it is to use it as entertainment or to watch it and be entertained by it. The the fact that nobody involved saw any irony in that is amazing to me. Like, like 
World Wrestling Entertainment is sort of like sort of like MFC, I guess. Modern gladiator battles. It's just complete violent spectacle mixed in with a healthy dose of homoeroticism. Okay, now <laughs> that has its place. Obviously, a lot of people like it, and a lot of people are making money off of it. But to then turn around and make a movie that decries the very thing that made the millions of dollars that made the movie that we're watching possible, right away the hypocrisy meter has exploded all over me and it's an uphill battle for me to like start liking the movie. <laughs> but that's not necessarily complete. To be fair. Yeah. That's not completely fair. the right reason to, to diss the movie. It, but I, I just want to be clear that I brought that baggage in. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. To be fair, this movie does not actually do a very good job of making any of the points that it's trying to make <laughs> about that. Like, it's, it's so bad at actually doing what it's setting out to do that uh, it, it really doesn't matter at all. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a mess. And uh, a surprisingly high budget mess. I got to admit, like while I was watching it, I was like, hmm, you know, this doesn't look like, um, it doesn't look like, a, it's not a beautiful looking movie, but it looks like a really, it looks like a really good TV movie. Like right. it's, it's, it's got like this very, uh, it's way more slick than I was imagining it was going to be from a movie that begins with a, the logo of the World Wrestling entertainment where i was just like oh i'm like like you know you're in for a treat when the first logo that you see in the credits is the world wrestling entertainment logo like you're just like this is i know what i'm in for here this is gonna be a nightmare well in my experience the world wrestling entertainment film branch is takes the netflix kind of cue of things they don't have quality so they buy quality they have money, so they buy people who are talented <laughs> to do their stuff, but the they still hamstring them with these ridiculous scripts uh, and say, and we need you to put a bunch of wrestlers in it, and by the way, most of them aren't really good at acting. I'm not going to be too mean to Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't watch wrestling. I'm not a fan. I don't like know where he, how he fits into the things, but like, as far as someone plucked from the ring... He can deliver his lines. He doesn't bump into the furniture. I can understand what he's saying. There's some level of emoting happening there. Like, he's yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's not he's not interesting, but he's he he's fine. Yeah, that's actually all I can really say about this movie overall. It's fine. There's <laughs> nothing there's nothing good about the movie. It's uh, it's coherent. I I. I understand it, but it's it's just it's just homogenous. It's just complete. Uh, it's just a complete waste of of time. Essentially, <laughs> you've seen everything in this movie uh, a thousand times before. Probably done better. But is it some other kids' no escape, Evan? If some kids saw this when they were fourteen, did that blow their mind? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I actually do think, uh, I think you're right. I, I thought about that while I was watching it. I was like, you know, in a weird way, this is kind of the same caliber of film um, for like the 2007 set. Um, this, 
I can see someone, uh, 12 year old me, if I was 12 years old in 2007 watching this movie and just like, um, maybe I'm, I'm a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. I love Stone Cold. And I can see just kind of like uh, being surprised at how good this movie is because I had such low expectation. Right. But, um, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, uh, you're not going to trick me into saying that No Escape is a bad movie. <laughs> no, no, and I'm not asking you to, but like, uh, <laughs> I feel like I, I could be getting, being a little bit harder on the movie because I resent it. I resent it when movies like try to rub my nose in it and say shame on you for liking this movie. Like the whole are you not entertained <laughs> approach to cinema, the whole funny games thing, like you're complicit in this violence. You're part of the problem. The only reason this violence exists is because you want it to exist, ergo you willed it to exist. And you're right that the movie's not smart enough to handle that satire at all. At all. <laughs> but because they're trying to, it really fucking pisses me off. Like it flips my beliefs. It's just like all of a sudden, I'm reliving my memory of watching Boondog Saints and wanting to set fire to the fucking theater over how much I hate the hypocrisy in this movie. Like, it's just like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, and, I'm ashamed, and I'm ashamed to say it, but at the time, uh, uh, sorry to kind of like follow your lead with the Boondog Saints, but I'm a couple years younger than you are. Yeah. And when the Boondock Saints came out, I was actually tricked into liking that film. Oh, I, I got in so many bar fights over that fucking like not real fights, but like, I, I've seen posters of that on people's walls, and I'm like, are you serious? That is one of the worst yeah. movies of no. the nineties. <laughs> don't don't get me don't get me wrong. Like I understand now that it's a terrible movie. Right. <laughs> but when it first came out, there were, I had a certain fascination about it. I think also because. I think I knew it was bad, um, and I think I knew it was really bad. But there was it was almost so bad that it was good in a way. Like, um, <laughs> well, the like, condemned doesn't achieve that to watch in, in a certain way. But I, I got over any kind of like um, ideas I had of that movie being even remotely entertaining really quick. Right. Especially when I watched Boondock Saints two. <laughs> I I opted not to watch the sequel. <laughs> I figured, you know, uh, <laughs> one was well, good enough. Another episode. For <laughs> but uh, it's weird because talking about my hate of Boondog Saints is almost more interesting than talking about The Condemned. I think The Condemned is a better movie than Boondog Saints, but that's probably the nicest thing I've said about it so far. The action yeah, scenes... The action scenes within the movie, when one big bad person is fighting another big bad person, they work well enough. There's a couple of scenes where I go, ouch, that looked like that really hurt. Uh, um, It does get lost in the super heavy cutting kinetic um, Paul Greengrass Born Identity fight editing, which uh, had its moment, but I think in a lot of ways just sort of loses the reality of the situation to me if it's overplayed. So... The basic nuts and bolts filmmaking are there. I, I mean, it should be good enough to get a passing grade, but I, I personally am not going to give it that passing grade. Something about this movie that rubs is kind me of like, That's the weird thing about this movie. It's completely competent. Yeah. But it's also completely 
homogenous and you literally are forgetting what's happening in the movie as you're watching it. <laughs> I dare anyone to describe what happened in this film the morning after watching it. <laughs> they will not be able to remember what happened. Yeah. And it, it, the same thing when I go back to Battle Royale where it seemed to be a scene of here's a bunch of people I don't know who died and then another scene where a bunch of people I don't know died. This movie, like, we know them a little bit, but they're all terrible. Like, when the convicts die, we don't particularly feel anything. And when Vinnie Jones shows up and starts executing all the people in the control room, they're trying to make these big emotional beats out of these people. They're all awful. I don't care. Why are you asking me to care? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And nothing, nothing lands. Like, those scenes don't land. And, like, the scenes where they try uh, for humor doesn't really land. You can see them almost getting there a few times when they're first dropping people off on the island and they throw that guy out of the helicopter and he immediately lands on a pole impales himself on a piece of wood or whatever you know you could see in a better film that scene being amazing yeah and really funny but not in this one yeah and again it's just it's it, it's totally adjacent that death is 100 percent a punchline and if the thesis of your movie is that death should never be a punchline, then that death has no business being here, right? Stone Cold Steve Austin's going to give you a real badass one-liner, but a few scenes later, we're going to be watching this chick get raped, okay? And uh, yeah, pick a, another missed opportunity, I guess, and I know a lot of people hate the found footage thing, but like, if the island's a reality TV show and it's all being broadcast on the internet... Use the cameras for the show. Show us what the people at home would be seeing. So it may limit your perspective, but it'll give interesting dynamics to the to the movie. Or so when during the fight, if they smash into the camera and that camera's destroyed, we lose that angle for the rest of the fight. I'm, it, they're just things that they could have done if anyone's heart was in it. <laughs> you know? It's true. Yeah, the, uh, the entire kind of like... Uh, subplot of this all taking place for a TV show is almost completely uh, it's almost completely ignored throughout the movie I don't think that there's a moment when we actually see uh, people at home watching the show or or anything it's just kind of there as like because um, uh, it was in the script but they don't actually really care about that they just want like all this other stuff to be happening they want the fight scenes there's there's not, they just went as far as making a competent film and they, they didn't do anything to kind of like finesse. Yeah, there's no love in this movie. And at the very it's least, just, give, us, give us an interesting villain too. The main bad guy is such bland sauce. Like, they make a point of saying he's already rich, so the financial reward for this is minimal for him, right? Like, so, okay, then he really gets off on it. Let us see him loving this violence and really getting charged. No, not even that. <laughs> like, at the end of the movie, they make him wolf out and they show he's willing to kill even his best friend and not, like, blink an eye about it. But, like, do we care? His best friend, even though they've tried to make him sympathetic, is still just as awful as everyone else. He just has, like, a... a, a tiny tiny cockroach spine of a conscience listing somewhere inside him and for that we're supposed to like him yeah it's uh it's not good and the soundtrack is really confusing oh yes um <laughs> there there is a 
for some reason, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening probably won't know who this band is, but for some reason there's an Eels song, oh. which yeah. is actually a cool band. It's a good song, yeah. So I don't know, Soul Jacker. I don't know what it's doing. I have no idea what it's doing in this movie. It doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, Firestarter by The Prodigy is in this movie about 10 years too late. Some Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, I think I heard in there. Yeah. And the worst of all, and I'm not saying those bands are bad, you know, Prodigy and Meals, they're fine. But like, the worst part of all is the song that they decide to end the movie on <laughs> is a Nickelback song. <laughs> and that pretty much sums up exactly how I feel about this movie. That's just, what else can you say? The Condemned is the Nickelback of action movies. <laughs> it truly is. Booyah. It's terrible. Attention residents, welcome to the lottery spin. Jordan to Delta, you're moving out to the island. Transported to the world's last paradise. I think they're gonna kill you. I'm going to the island. There is no island! Come on! Two of our products have escaped. Do not let him get away! But I want one. This summer. Tell me what's going on! They're gonna come looking for you! Good job! You're copies of people. Do one of them get sick and they need a new part, they take it from you. Yeah! I'm sorry, I'm not ready to die. From Michael Bay. How come we never did this before? The director of The Rock and Armageddon. Well, that tongue thing is amazing. I know you're new to this whole human thing, but backpacks for boys, purses for girls. Understand? We're not idiots. Well, excuse me, miss. I'm so smart, I can't wait to go to the island. All right. Uh, the Island from subtle filmmaker Michael Bay. <laughs> yes, he who likes 200 cuts for every minute of film time. <laughs> um, I get the feeling, I don't know this, this is me making shit up, that Michael Bay, as much as he says he doesn't care about critics, cares about critics. His movies make lots of money. The kids show up, they eat the popcorn, they watch the explosions. To a certain degree, his movies are critic-proof. They're going to make money. But I feel like the real sad, come-close-to-pathetic thing about the island is this is Michael Bay earnestly trying to make what he thinks is an intelligent science fiction movie. And it's just not... It's just not as smart as it thinks it is. And there's something really uncomfortable to me about a movie that is not as smart as it thinks it is. <laughs> like, you can have a lot of really good qualities, but if you're being smug in a way when you don't deserve it, it's gonna spoil the meal for me. And it's unfortunate because there are some interesting elements at work here. I like Ewan McGregor as a leading man. I think uh, he's about as charming a leading man as you can have in a lot of movies. There's just something about that guy you want to root for him. Scarlett Johansson is not just easy on the eyes. I think she's a very decent actress. It's weird seeing her in this movie because she's quite weak as a character in this movie. Like, I'm so used to seeing her kick ass that it seemed weird to her being constantly swung around and rescued in this movie. But she played the part well. 
I like Digimon Hansu as an actor, and like I like that they tried to make something interesting about this bounty hunter character. I always like seeing Steve Buscemi. Like, there's all these interesting points in the movie. Sean Bean is a bad guy. Always going to deliver for you, right? And once again, I think we've talked about it a few times in this episode already. Despite all of these interesting pieces, despite the high-minded sci-fi story that they start with, with this, I'll go right to spoilers, clone facility, where all of these people live these, these, these lives of toil, but on the hopes that they're going to be elected to go to an island, this utter utopia paradise. And as we find out, the island means they're being cut up for parts. Again, if handled by somebody with subtlety, grace, or intelligence, this story might have been interesting. They gave it to Michael Bay, so it's a big, loud, dumb action movie. If you're in the mood for a big, loud, yeah. dumb action movie, I guess it'll fill the bill. But if you're wanting to watch sci-fi, I don't know. I don't know. It's closer to I being totally, a good totally movie. Agree. It's closer to being a good movie than Michael Bay has come in a long time, but I can't quite get it over the line to saying it makes it all the way there. I agree with you. I think that um, I was struck by something when I was watching this movie. Um, and that was, I, think, I actually think that the story is, is pretty good. I think that there's a movie here that... Uh, like you said, in more capable hands, could have been a really entertaining and uh, interesting film if it was if it was handled with uh, a more delicate touch than Michael Bay is capable of. Um, I have no problem with the story itself. I think it's a a fun update of Logan's Run and. Uh, you know, countless other movies and stories like that. I think it's, it is intelligent in a way, but the movie is not intelligent. It, it is extremely Michael Bay, and it's just too Michael Bay to actually be good. <laughs> Secondly, it is way, way, way too long. And when I was watching it, um, I mean, you said spoiler alert about it being a clone facility. <laughs> I think that that piece of information is given away in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, and they actually escape the cloning facility probably in the first half an hour, maybe like 40 minutes. And there's a weird thing that happens, at least for me when I watch this movie. And I actually saw this movie in the theater when it first came out, and I remember thinking the exact same thing. I was watching it, and you kind of have this feeling when they escape, like the movie should be over soon. But what you don't know is that there are two hours left <laughs> in the movie. The majority of the movie takes place outside of the cloning facility, and it actually is really, um, I don't know, subliminally like jarring while you're watching it, because you have this feeling like you're, in, you're getting to the end of the film, for a full like 90 minutes and it just doesn't stop. So you never really uh, become invested in what's happening once they escape the facility. At least that's what happened to me. I don't know, I had to like, it was a little bit better this time around because I kind of remembered uh, 
I remembered that about the film, so I kind of knew what to expect a little bit more. But uh, I, I wish I could say that that helped my viewing experience, but it kind of didn't. And the third thing I'm going to say is just that um, Ewan McGregor is a great leading man, but his American accent has always been terrible. Yeah, I've called him on that before. Yeah, I've called him on that before. I love Black Hawk Down, but he really, like, there's a few times in that movie where, like, I can hear the brakes squealing because of that. It's a little bit of a problem here, but I think the charisma factor helps me get past that for me. <laughs> I, I, I still have to lay all of the all of the shame on Michael Bay. It feels like he wanted to get all the sci-fi shit out of the way in the first act so that the chase can begin. The chase is what he knows how to do. He's comfortable there, right? Give me some sci-fi toys to chase them through a city. Let's wreck some shit. Let's blow up some vehicles. Let's flip over things. But it's it's kind of heartbreaking because he doesn't seem to understand that even though he's good at doing action, these are arguably his strengths. Depending on the story you're telling, your strengths can kind of become your weaknesses. It's really telling to me in the little like promotional documentary on the DVD, he says he always tells his writers to not waste their time giving him the detail of the action beats. Just say action, I'll do the action, I got you covered. And that is everything that's fucking wrong with this movie. Because he's looking at it as a chase movie, as an action movie, as an explosion movie. And that's not what this movie wants to be. It's an idea movie. It's a science fiction movie. And he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. His idea of science fiction must be as simple as his idea of humor like <laughs> it's so broad and mamby pamby that it can be you know scoffed at cross-culturally because it's as simple as a grandpa getting kicked in the balls by a little kid right it's just man falls down crowd applause right so yeah Whatever could have been in this movie, like, that would have made it more interesting was just robbed by the style. Like, it's killed by its style. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I remember, actually, like, I was watching it, and um, you're right. It, it, there's a certain Michael Bay uh, humor that is, that is not good, and it exists in all of his films. I think I can't remember if there were any stupid humor scenes in The Rock. I'm, I'm sure there there were, but I remember watching, you know, like um, some of his newer films, like the Transformers movies. The humor always falls flat. Nobody has anything good to say about it. It's terrible. Um, it completely uh, takes you out of the film. It doesn't make any sense in this film. And there's plenty of these kind of like humorous moments that um, in a better movie uh, would have elevated it and, and been a good time. But in this movie, it just doesn't work. It's just, it's just a shame because it's, um, it could have been a Gattaca or um, something more intelligent. You can really feel the story 
kind of screaming to be told by a better director yeah. in this movie. And you can have um, action. You can have action and ideas. The Matrix did it. The Blade Runner did it. You you can do it. You can do it. You just need a director who's capable of it. And like Michael Bay just doesn't do that. You want a dumb action movie where shit blows up? I guess Michael Bay is your man. But you want any kind of subtlety, any kind of tact, any kind of like grace to your movie? Like, no, he's not supposed to be making historical epics, Pearl Harbor. And no, he's not trying to make satirical, edgy comedies, pain and gain. Like, god damn it. <laughs> Just... Just admit, you're good at making music videos, you're good at making explosions, and you can make a good living at that. It's okay, Michael Bay. I accept you. <laughs> yeah. The other weird thing about this movie, I have to point out, is um, the extreme product placement that occurs, especially in the first half an hour when they're in the compound. It is insane the amount of brand names that you see in this movie to the point that I actually have to wonder if the studio actually spent money on this film or if it was just completely funded by by branding. There's there's Puma, there is Xbox, there's Aquafina. There's it's it's so in your face that um, if they if they handled it in a way where it was supposed to be satire or, or tongue-in-cheek because at that point you know you're in the future and maybe that's it, it maybe they're making a statement about how um that's how things are going to be or or whatever but that's not what it is in this movie you're literally just being advertised to for a good portion of it yeah um and at that point you know if it's not dealt with as satire then you just kind of it's hard to focus on any story at that point. You just, it, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. But that's just the icing on the cake with this movie. I mean, like, all of the other points that we made were bad enough yeah. and reason enough not to watch the island. But that's just another, another strike. It just sucks because, like, they spent 200 and probably more, $250 million making this movie, and another $100 million promoting it. That's why they probably spent so much money with the advertising in it, because they wanted to, you know, cut back on the extravagant expense. And I always say I'm much harder on these types of movies, because, like, honestly, if the director of Island of the Alive made the, this movie, made the island, it would look terrible, and the acting wouldn't be good, but there'd be a lot more to chew on. I really do think that there would be something, there'd be a conversation to be had after the movie other than shit blew up real good. And uh, that's what science fiction is. Science fiction is not action in space. It's, it's ideas. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where we fail here. Oh, Michael Bay. Oh, Michael Bay. Maybe next time. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I love you. I love you too. I'll be right back. Fire engine one. Okay.
So, Mr. Robert Zemeckis, uh, this is a guy who makes big budget films the same way Michael Bay does, who we were just talking about, but I think you get more bang for your buck out of Zemeckis. I'm not saying everything that he's made is brilliant. Like, I have controversial opinions of some of his most beloved movies, to be honest, but I will... I'm always going to be grateful to him for, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and for Back to the Future, you know, like, he's made movies that have pushed forward special effects, and he also tries to be a little bit more than just special effects. He puts emotions behind it. Cast Away was basically a dream project of Tom Hanks, because when you're Tom Hanks, you get to say things like, I'd like to make a movie about a guy who's stuck on an island for four years. And then Academy Award winning screenplay writers start working on it and Robert Zemeckis starts doing pre-production. But to be fair, Tom Hanks really committed to this this project. They actually took like a, a, a full year break in the middle of filming the movie so Tom Hanks could lose weight. And while that happened, Zemeckis made a whole other movie. He made that kind of mediocre ghost movie, What Lies Beneath, while he was waiting to finish Castaway. Um, it's an ambitious movie, and uh, I think that the screenplay, the guy who wrote it was thinking, you know, old man in the sea, like, we're going to make this the most epic, deep movie we can possibly make it. And at times, I think he might have been a bit heavy-handed. But we lucked out because Tom Hanks really brings it for me in this movie. Like, it is a one-man show. So, largely, the, we can talk about the beginning and end of the movie, but, like, once we get to that island, it is the Tom Hanks show. And if you are enjoying that, you will enjoy this movie. I think, especially this middle chunk, there's about a 20-minute opening and about a 30-minute closing of the movie that almost feel like separate pieces that uh, I will talk about. But I think that this middle chunk of movie on the island is good enough that I can enthusiastically recommend Castaway. Is it perfect? Yeah. No, it's not perfect. But I am very impressed by it. I think that that is a good way of putting it with Castaway. I think it's a very impressive movie. Um, I think that Robert Zemeckis is uh, obviously very focused on pushing the boundaries of, of uh, technologically of what what is possible with uh, filmmaking, like as far as special effects go. And you know, you can there there are really impressive sequences in this film and. Even now, even though now when I watched it, I was surprised at how dated the movie actually is. Um, I, for some reason, I, I thought that this movie came out um, a lot more recently than it did. And 2000. It really does, yeah, 2000. And it really does in a way when you watch it now, it feels, uh, it feels surprisingly uh, old. I think it came out at a time that was just a little... I don't know. It's just it 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 feel it. I guess does the movie take place in two thousand or it takes place in nineteen ninety five or something? I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, some of the FedEx packages that wash up on shore have VHS tapes in them, 
But contemporary yeah. to this movie was movies like The Ring, where VHS was still a thing at this time. So it, it yeah, feels yeah. out of time now, but I think it would have felt relatively modern when it came out in 2000. Yeah, and I think that um, one thing that separates this film, I mean, obviously all of the films that were chosen for this, are, are they're all quite different. But this movie is especially different because it... Um, this is not really like a social commentary movie. I feel like all of the other films on the list are at least attempting some kind of like tongue-in-cheek uh, social commentary. They're all kind of like, um, they're trying to do something with this idea of an island and, uh, you know, even Island of the Alive is trying to say something. I don't know what it's trying to say, but it, but it puts it out there and. You know, you know it's trying to say something. Castaway is really um, a, it's a, bit a personal more, journey uh, of a straightforward uh, story. Yeah, um, and it is beautifully made, but I have to say that I I did find it a little bit boring from my personal point of view. I don't know if it's that, if it's because time hasn't treated it as well as it should have, or um, I could see kind of that they were trying, uh, trying too hard to impress with certain elements of it that, that don't really hold up now because it's just like, I don't know. There, yes, the the idea of of him being stuck on this island and the idea of making like such a big budget film about something so quiet and so uh, um, uh, uh, reflective and uh, essentially a silent film for a lot of it is impressive, but it's also there's something that feels weirdly gimmicky about it in a weird way where you just kind of like. You can feel, um, you can feel that it's kind of like a Tom Hanks show, like you were saying, um, and it's just not necessarily as interesting as it as it thinks that it is. Yeah. I, I will say though that his performance is great, um, and there's a lot to like about the movie. It, it is impressive technically; it's a technical achievement for sure. Um, and I think I liked it more when I watched it now than I did when it first came out. Um, uh, I was originally a little bit confused, I think, when the movie continued past him leaving the island. Yeah. I think that uh, in a strange way when it first came out, I, uh, I was still probably, you know, I was like 20 or something, maybe even younger. But um, I thought that, uh, I felt at the time that the movie should have really ended, like, when he uh, is rescued, and I, I felt like the, uh, the epilogue of the film was, was a little bit heavy-handed and long. Um, whereas this time, I think that that is actually what makes this movie good. I think that the last half, half an hour of the all of the emotional weight of the film in a way, and actually kind of saved the movie for me this summer. When I first saw the movie, I hated the ending. Well, the first time I saw it, like in theaters, I I loved everything on the island, but I just I was I felt so satisfied by the journey 
of him getting himself off the island and him losing his best friend in Wilson, the volleyball and all of that and connecting emotionally to his struggle that you're right. The second he's rescued, I feel like the movie's over, but the movie has more to say. Going in prepared for that last act is a little bit easier because A, you know it's coming, so you're not like anxious to get going, but... Um, I think we needed to see not just that he got off that island, but how changed he was by it. And, and that it's an inspirational movie, but like there's a lot, there's as much loss as there is hope to the movie. He doesn't get his girlfriend back. She didn't spend all this time waiting for him, nor should she have, right? He doesn't know where he's going to go. So I, originally I thought leaving him staring out at this open field like the opposite of an island, this vast open field and these crossroads. Where am I going to go now? Where's my life going to go? What will I do? The credits roll. I'm like, really? The first time? This time, it really worked for me. I think they maybe spent a little bit too much time with Helen Hunt and Chris Noth. Like, uh, just, just for the sake purely of the running time of the movie, once we get to two and a half hours. Yeah, I can feel that. But honestly, watching it this time, the third act didn't bother me as much. There was just a few little moments that were heavy-handed to me. The fact that they go on again and again about his obsession with time, that whole rant that he gives at the beginning of the movie about the sin of losing track of time and everything's go, 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 and I have to be here by this time, and this, and like, it's on the nose. It's on the nose. He could just be anybody. He could be any guy. He didn't need to have that specific character flaw. That's where it becomes more literary and, and strangely less credible in the cinematic universe. What I connect to is this fear of this knowledge I have in myself, this personal flaw that if someday the lights go out or like I am put in a position where I have to live off the fat of the land, I'm not going to cut it. I do not have what it takes in me to survive in a very basic way. And I know it. And seeing this guy, who's just as normal as me, get dropped on this island and figure out a way to live for four years, not just, not just physically feeding himself, but keeping himself sane and figuring himself a way off the island, all of that worked enough. I think that... The, the screenwriter was just trying too hard. The other thing that I would take out of the movie, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but when he's being drifting in the ocean and he gives up on the paddles, he's just on the way of the curtains, he has that moment where he looks over and he sees this whale lift its face out of the water and they kind of look at each other. And then at the end, right when he's about to be found by the ship, we hear the spout of the whale and water hits him like the whale woke him up to make him aware of this boat. And that is a fucking Walt Disney movie conceit. That is something that should happen in an animated Pixar movie. And in a movie that had been so real and taking itself so seriously, the movie was embarrassed to show us the whale. We only heard it, like it's implied even. But there's no other reason for that sound effect and for that water to splash him. And it's just out of tune. Because of just a handful of those out-of-tune moments, I think it takes the it takes Castaway down a notch from being like this, quote, epic classic movie. 
But in spite of these flaws, I think the essential survival scenario and that performance by Tom Hanks and just the the way I got in there, I didn't find it lagged on the island at all for me. Even though there was very little dialogue, I was like, is he going to start this fire? Is he going to get into that coconut? Is he going to catch this fish? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I found it strangely riveting. You're right, you're right, you're right. Um, I gotta, I gotta say, um, I, uh, I had a slightly different take on the whale stuff, but okay. I will say that the first time that you see the whale was ridiculous. Okay. Um, it felt completely out of place. Um, and the effects in that scene, uh, dated the movie. I felt it just looked weird. Like when he sees the whale actually comes up to the surface and its eye looks at him. Yeah. And it's, it was like, and that clearly wasn't meant to be, um, a hallucination. Um, but I do feel, and I think that that scene was a bit of a disaster. Like I think that, um, it was completely unnecessary and didn't fit it in the film at all. Um, but I do feel like when you hear the whale in the uh, a few scenes after that, there's a few times you kind of he's woken up by uh, the whale. Maybe there was only one. I'm not. Sure. But um, I think that the reason that you don't see the whale is because it's it's just in his head at that point. I don't know. If, I, I I think I really hoped that the whale wasn't actually there, like... But the water does splash him. I I really wanted it to just be something that he was kind of imagining in his head the same way that he was making a friend out of... Wilson. You know, Wilson. Um, So that's up for debate. Um, uh, But the whale, the initial whale scene absolutely bothered me. It was was, uh, completely uh, out of place. Uh, in the film, and you know, maybe in the original script, they there was something more poetic to this kind of relationship there, or something. Something was lost in translation there. But like, um, I just don't think we needed the whale. Period. I don't know if they thought like it was so unlikely that he would end up in a shipping lane that we would think it was fake. But is it more or less fake that a whale guides him there? You know, like <laughs> I, I don't. I could have done without that. He'd done enough that he earned his way off that island, and any form of rescue at this point I would have likely accepted. The other thing I want to give yeah. the movie... No, I would, have been completely, I would have been completely fine if he was floating for a long time, didn't see a whale, and just came across a ship in the ocean. There's something uh, magical enough about that kind of like... Uh, synchronicity yeah. that that would have been fine i didn't need the whale at all and it's just so disney like i said it's so i don't know weirdly cute and i i wanted to compliment the darkness that the movie accomplishes there's a scene where he needs to get boat to get this raft to work and this sail to work and there's a length of rope that he doesn't want to go and get and we find out that sometime in the jump cut where we get from the first few weeks of his time on the island to the last few weeks on the time of this island, we there's a, a cut that sort of separates those two chapters. At some point at that point, uh, in, in that jump, 
he'd really taken some serious consideration on suicide. So much to the point where he dragged a log to the top of this peak and tested his rope to see that he make sure he would hang and found that he wouldn't, that he would have made a muck job of it. But that they sort of allowed for that. He was able to eat. He was able to live comfortable to the point that he adjusted to his life on the island. Even during the most severe storm, there was a cave and a fresh water source. He could stay alive, but he couldn't live anymore. And uh, Mm -hmm. I like that the movie acknowledged that. And I think think it's also... uh, Sorry, go on. I like that the movie acknowledged that. And that seemed real. And the whale seemed so fake that it almost like... It, 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 it was an unfair counterbalance to it. I was liking the reality, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, to your point, um, there are moments in the film that are surprisingly dark. The, the, uh, within the first uh, few days of him being on the island, when uh, the pilot or whoever was on the airplane with him kind of washes up on the shore, and the way that they kind of like portray his dead body and and how it's dealt with they don't really shy away from showing how disgusting that is and um and i can imagine for like a huge part of the audience of this film just going to see like a tom hanks movie that's that type of thing like isn't a comfortable thing to see it's not really a comfortable thing to see for, for anyone I was impressed with the way that they portrayed that realistically. Yeah. And um, there are a lot of impressive things about this movie. But I, but I will uh, go back to my original point. I think that more than anything, uh, time has kind of uh, told, kind of confirmed for me that the ending of this film is, is completely necessary. Yeah. I don't think that this film carries... Um, I don't think this film would carry the same amount of weight if you didn't see the aftermath of him being on the island. And I think it's largely successful in the ending with its kind of um, ambiguity and, and you know, they're, they, for this type of movie, they did take a few risks with the way that they told the story and they didn't just tie it all up in a pretty little bow. It's not necessarily all going to be okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, you're you are left to like uh, make your own decision on what's going to happen with him. Is it heavily 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 implied what's going to happen to him? Yes. Yeah. He's going to go down that road and he's going to marry that chick that he just saw in the truck. <laughs> That's definitely going to happen but they don't actually show it to you no which is you know pretty good for for robert zemeckis thank you for not that was completely that piece of restraint was welcome (coughs) excuse me that piece of restraint was welcome two more things i just wanted to say really quick i know we've been going on and on about castaway you talked about the body uh and the grim reality of it i also like that one of the first things he did after getting the body out of the water, was check the shoes. The shoes are too small, so he turns them into sandals. He also checks his ID and realizes that he'd been calling this guy by his wrong name during the whole flight. 
that little detail that we didn't necessarily need, but was kind of just quietly devastating. I really liked. The other thing I yeah, wanted to bring up really. I agree. That was that was great. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up really quickly because you brought up in the previous film, um, advertising, the use of Federal Express. Okay, FedEx in this movie. He's a FedEx employee. He's on a board a flight with a bunch of packages. And a lot of them wash up on shore, including his, his volleyball, Wilson, which becomes his companion. And there's one package, again, that he refuses to open and that he decides to deliver. That's another one of the pings of the screenplay that I personally would have done without. But um, generally speaking, if you're going to have a sponsor or an advertiser in your movie and you can find a way to use it in a plot way, I'm less bothered by it. So is Castaway is Castaway kind of an elaborate advertisement for Federal Express? Maybe. Did it bother me? No. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. I actually did look into that, and apparently, um, I assumed that FedEx probably paid a pretty penny to be in this movie because of how much they're actually featured in the film. But in reality they didn't pay a dime it was just part of the script to make the film seem more realistic and more relatable as like a real story because fedex exists in their lives and apparently uh no money was passed between fedex either fedex to the production or the production to fedex <laughs> they just agreed that they could be in the movie interesting uh and that's largely the and movie I have, I have one yeah go I have one one more thing to say about Castaway because I couldn't stop thinking about it while I was watching the movie. I really, really, really wish that Joe versus the Volcano was on this list. <laughs> For another day, my friend. For another day. <laughs> so much for doing this i really appreciate it and uh it's great to talk to you from the excited states <laughs> canada misses you brother but uh i'm happy that you're happy to be where you are uh, this was I a am, uh, i'm happy to be on this show right now and thank you for having me six relaxing island getaways oh i'm so pithy what was your least favorite of these six films and why okay so, um, in a way, last place is kind of a tie for me, but I'm just gonna make uh, I'm just gonna make a, t a decision. Okay. Um, I think that my least favorite is the condemned. Uh, I don't think that that is a controversial thing to say. <laughs> um, I uh, I almost feel bad for 
giving this last place because I I don't I don't think that they were actually really trying to make a good movie. <laughs> um, but uh, unlike even The Island, for instance, I I don't even think that there's like a seed here of something interesting. And and everything about this film has been done better in other films before. Um, I would be hesitant to even recommend this to uh, like Steve Austin fans. Right. So I feel like it deserves its 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 last place. Right. I can't think of anything good to say about the condemned. To, to <laughs> okay. <be honest. laughs> That's all um, right. That's all right. I accept that at the num- bottom. Number five. Yep. Keep going. Number five is the island. I think similarly, this is probably not a controversial place for this film. Um, uh, I have to give the island some points for uh, its story. I thought that the story was actually uh, pretty promising. I think it had something there. Um, uh, I thought it was a pretty fun update of, uh, you know, Logan's Run, uh, the, you know, classic stories like the lottery. Uh, yeah. There's, you know, it wears its influences on its sleeve. There's something going on there, but it's still just uh, impossible to watch, and the runtime is unforgivable. Yeah, agree. Um, number four, uh, Island of the Alive. Uh, I think that uh, I think that despite the fact that this could have used um, another you know ten thousand dollars for special effects, um, I appreciated that this movie had a unique voice. And you really get the impression that uh, Larry Cohen uh, did actually make exactly what he was he was setting out to make. Um, and I think as a result, it's it's super campy and fun to watch. All right, number four, um, number top three, three, no escape. Um, this is probably purely based on the fact that I uh, that I grew up in the '90s and and I was 12 when this came out. Um, but that said, I think it's it's like a surprisingly uh, surprisingly entertaining and even though it's super messy. The performance of uh, the bad guy, what's his name, Stuart Wilson, yeah. was amazing and extremely fun to watch. I'm actually surprised we didn't really touch on this, but like that actor, like I feel like that should have been like a breakout role for him. Like He should have been in way more after this movie. Right. Don't you agree? Like What, well, what else was he in after? He was a bad guy in one of the Lethal Weapon movies. Um, I, I believe he did the Roman Polanski adaptation of Death and the Maiden, um, but he did more sort of character actory stuff. This was one of the more strangely big roles. It reminds me of when like Danny Houston showed up as the evil vampire in Thirty Days of Night, and it's just like, yeah. wow, where did that come from? <laughs> it's one of those performances where it's not just a good performance; it's a good performance from a place you weren't expecting. <laughs> Yeah, watching him in this movie makes you believe that um, he should have been in in more stuff. Like I, it's he felt almost um, he felt weirdly recognizable in a way where you're watching him and you're just like, oh, I know that guy. That that guy was in a bunch of stuff. But then I like tried to find other stuff I recognized him in and I couldn't really find any. Anyways, he'll I always he have no escape. He'll always have no escape. <laughs> <laughs> It's an, it's an amazing performance. I, I can't say enough good things about it, to be honest. Um, number two, Castaway. Um, uh, you kind of convinced me uh, a little bit on this movie. This was originally 
when we went into this uh, episode, I was originally going to put Castaway uh, lower on this list, but the more I've had time to think about it and uh, listen to your points, I kind of agree with you. The, this is, um, it's a really good film. And I think, uh, you know, it's weird to put it alongside these other films in this list. It's very hard to rank it against these films. Um, which I think is why I had it lower on the list before, because when, if you're looking at a lot of these movies, you kind of, you're kind of forced to rank them in a way uh, that's, a, that's a bit different, where it's not about the quality of the film, it's more about, is this something that I'm entertained enough by that I would watch again, maybe while hanging out with friends and like drinking beer or whatever? Yeah. Like, does, does this have like, the, this like, the entertainment value, the rewatchability, to watch it every five years and enjoy it. Um, I would say, in a weird way, I would probably watch No Escape sooner than I would watch Castaway again, just because I find it entertaining in this kind of like romanticized 1990s way. Um, but I do think that it deserves to be above those those films on the list. I think it's a, a better movie, and and um, and yeah, thank you for uh, for swaying me in this direction <laughs> it's what i but do i have to give yeah i have to give the number one spot to battle royale because i actually do think that um in a way this movie is kind of a masterpiece it is more so even than castaway i think successful at what it's actually setting out to do i think that it is i think it knows exactly what it wants and it does it so well. And I think that out of all of these films, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's certainly the most, it's the most entertaining for me. I don't know that, <laughs> maybe, maybe for, it might just be for my taste, but, but, um, You're but a sick in a weird puppy. way, I could watch, I could watch Battle Royale, like, I could watch it every couple of years, probably, and still <laughs> enjoy it. You know, I could not sit through Castaway again within the next 12 months battle royale i could i could have someone over and be like have you ever seen this movie and gladly sit through the two hours again and just like enjoy kind of like introducing it to someone else or just like you know just watching it like on like a sunday afternoon well it is more so than cast one it is doubtlessly this gnarly bizarre spectacle like it demands to be watched absolutely so here's the thing. We did not go six for six and we did not go zero for six. So I'm afraid no prizes for you this episode, brother. But okay, okay. we only matched in one place. And I wonder if you can guess where that place is. Oh, uh, I think it would probably be last place. Alas, no. I like oh, where man. we I like where we agreed. And uh, I hope you're not too mad at where we disagreed. But here's my justification for putting Island of the Alive at the bottom of this list. Even, <laughs> you're mad, I can see that you're mad. By this it's filmmaker's standard, even by the rough-hewn nature of the movies he's made in the past, like I said, The Stuff, Return to Salem's Lot, Cue the Winged Serpent, these aren't high-bar films. This is one of the weakest films in his canon, <laughs> okay? Like, um, by this sort of cheapy B-movie standard, it's pretty low-grade fare. And I have to take serious points away for the lack of gore. You're right. If there was one thing that this movie should have guaranteed to deliver on, it should have been the teeth and tissue, and it didn't. 
It's got some sort of like so weird. It's it's hypnotizing throwback nostalgia, and Michael Moriarty is just this weird presence in movies. <laughs> like I don't even know if he's an amazing actor, but I I I, I just I the guy has a quality. <laughs> so it is what it is. But I, I just I'm not enthusiastic about it. There were two movies Man. on the list that I got an emotional reaction from. One of them was The Condemned, which is in fifth place, but the emotional reaction was outrage. <laughs> I was kind of mad at the movie. But I also will say, a lot of my hangups with the movie are my sort of personal things. I just, I don't like the, the preachy action movie. I just think, if you're going to be a dumb, fun action movie, just be a dumb, fun action movie and be okay with it. <laughs> you know, like, there's something about how it was wagging its finger at me that made me put it in a penalty box really early. <laughs> like, it just, it got on my nerves. So, fifth place. Why is the island all the way in fourth place? Because I said a lot of terrible things about it. As much as I said a lot of terrible things about it, it actually is one of the better Michael Bay movies. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's incredible to say, considering the shit-kicking that we gave it, but it's kind of true. It is sort of kind of coherent in its A, B to C. And we don't always get that <laughs> from Michael Bay. It does have a certain amount of impressive production coherence to it. It's a pretty movie, but it's also long. And it's stupid. And it thinks that it's smart. And that's what makes it really hard to take. So uh, it got away with something getting all the way to fourth place. In third place is where you and I agree. <laughs> no escape, baby. <laughs> yeah, no escape. The widely forgotten Ray Liotta sci-fi piecemeal of every science fiction story you've ever seen, which is generally, like, honestly, if I'm real with my audience, just okay. But I got a soft spot for no escape. Like, maybe I lost some credibility with some people out there, but... It, it, I gotta say, Larry, you know, No Escape might be number three on my list and your list in this episode. It's number one but in our hearts. It's number one in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. One and two was the toughest for me, but I ended up putting Battle Royal at number two for, for what I said during the review. As much as it is hypnotizingly strange and gnarly and, and grueling, it it kind of wears me out. Like it, it becomes almost exhausting to me. It's shorter than Castaway, but I, I, I feel like beat up by the movie. I have this experience sometimes when I watch like a really intense action movie, like the raid or something like that. When the movie's over, like I feel tired. Like I was just in a fight, but I, I just watched it. <laughs> and I think yeah. there's something to be said for this type of movie. If you're going to have your pedal that severely to the metal, Keep her closer to 90 or 100 minutes because I find it does kind of wear me out. I ended up giving Castaway the first place for purely, I guess, sentimental reasons in that there was two moments in the movie where I kind of felt my eyes getting a little bit dusty. Like, I reacted emotionally a couple of times in the movie. And it is deep. And uh, because of those moments working so well, it sucks for those few moments that don't work because it... It, it it drops the movie down to just really good, where you could sort of see it might have been excellent. But yeah. it and also... I think that it's, um, honestly, you know, 
it makes sense for Castaway to be number one on this list. I guess it, it is like it's it's not even arguably the the most coherent movie on this list. I think most people would agree that it is easily the the best film out of these films. Yeah. But what makes it difficult is that we're pitting all of these different films against each other that are so they don't deserve this. Yeah. <laughs> like they really like Castaway should be up against like um I don't know, like other beautiful like a beautiful mind or something. It should yeah. be on a totally different list. Right. You know what I mean? Well, so, it's the loose sort of idea of island-themed movies. Uh, again, yeah. it's not as precise as some of my themed my episodes have been, but um, I don't know. It was a close thing for me because I get why people love Battle Royale, and I do have fun time with it. And you're right, because Battle Royale is more of a ride than it is an experience, it, it might be something you would revisit more than you'd revisit, revisit Castaway. But I don't know. I It, it, it made me feel things. It, it, it had ambition. That scene where he knocks his tooth out with the skate really made me wince, you know? It it was the full package. Maybe the list was a little bit rigged because it feels like the most legit, quote, film on the list. Yeah. But um, we did have other real filmmakers. I mean, I talk shit about Michael Bay, but he is a filmmaker, right? Uh, he plays on a big scale, so... I don't know. Yeah. We we didn't agree, but I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not furious with you at anything. Like, how dare you, sir? I so. completely agree with your list, um, especially because No Escape ended up in the exact same placement. But, right. um, but yeah, I mean, what can you say? I mean, you can't be mad about uh, these, <laughs> about where you rank these movies. Yeah. It's like, I wouldn't even be mad if you said that The Condemned was your number one, because maybe you're a wrestling fan or right. whatever it's like you you can't they're they're unrateable most of these movies in a in a certain way you like what you like you know exactly thank you so much for doing this thank you for putting up with the technical difficulties it was great to catch up with you thanks oh, brother so nice so nice to be here thank you for having me is there anything you'd like to say to the people on the internet uh no just uh you know uh check out no escape it is a fantastic film, um, and uh, be safe. Well said, brother. of Rankin Review has come to a close. I hope you enjoyed that relaxing island getaway. Big thanks to Evan Parsons for coming on my podcast. Once again, he's a photographer in Los Angeles. And if you want to check out his work, you can check it out at, at Evan Parsons on Instagram. Um, he's a cool guy. Check him out, you guys. There's also other things you can fill your ears with. There's the Terror Table podcast, the Welcome to Riverdale podcast, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show podcast, and Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast. I really do appreciate you guys listening to Rank and Review. Please do spread the word on the show. If you have feedback for me, you can send that to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please check out the website at rankandreview.ca. And thanks, you guys. Thanks for being out there. Thanks for listening.